name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. One of the, well, a couple of things I really enjoy as winter is approaching and having on the go at home. One's uh, a jigsaw puzzle, and uh, that's good to always have on the go on the table. I must admit my cat likes to um, have a wee go at that as well. And, uh, and board games. Isn't it great to get out the board games? And uh, one of my um, favourites is Upwards, which my mother used to be a great expert at. And that's the one which is the vertical form of Scrabble. So I don't know if you've had a go at that. It's sort of 3D. So you're not just going across the board, but you're also going up um, at the same time and stacking the tiles. So I'm happy to challenge anyone to a game if, you've, uh, if you'd like to have a go sometime. Today is the day for Upwards, isn't it? As we celebrate today, 40 days now beyond Easter, uh, the ascension of our Lord Jesus, risen, ascended, glorified. And I love the words of our Ascension Tide hymns, and we're certainly uh, getting our full ration of them today. They're tremendously uplifting, and perhaps that's the cumulative effect of so many up uh, words in them. Uh, you may, uh, some of us I know, uh, have little games and things on our phones or computers, and they can end up terribly addictive. Uh, there's this lovely little um, uh, game that you can get called Jesus Jump, where you have to make uh, the risen Jesus bounce from cloud to cloud as he ascends up to heaven. And uh, the downside is when you miss a cloud and then, of course, he falls right back down to earth and you're into uh, theological disaster territory, I think. There are those, though, who would say that the ascension itself is theological disaster territory. Uh, surely we no longer believe in that three-tier lift shaft style universe with heaven, earth and the other place all stacked on top of each other. Surely we can no longer subscribe to that idea of Jesus ascending at all. And there are also those, that always are, those of a scientific bent who've done the calculations and they've worked out that it would take Jesus several billion years travelling at the speed of light to reach the edge of the known universe. And of course, the known universe keeps expanding, as we hear, and uh, to enter some sort of transcendent realm beyond. And of course, another several billion years to return. Uh, it's so hard for us to think about space and time. We are space and time-bound human beings. It's very easy to resort to some sort of biblical literalism or scientific literalism and miss the point of what is being proclaimed by the writers of the New Testament. And uh, especially Luke, who gives us two accounts, actually, of the ascension worth looking at at this time, at the end of his gospel, and then at the beginning of his sequel in Acts. That is that the risen Jesus is exalted, glorified, triumphant, victorious over sin and death, and that victory won at the cross is vindicated in the resurrection. The New Testament writers used, as they had to, and as we do too, metaphor and symbols to describe this. They went looking for the language of the enthronement of kings and the Psalms. God has gone up with shouts of triumph, with a fanfare of trumpets. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift yourselves up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. That's the language of exaltation and of triumph. 
Think of the language. Uh, we too use metaphor. Think of the language you've used this morning. What time did you get up this morning? Uh, are you up to speed on this? Are you feeling upbeat this morning? Um, this is a fine, upstanding congregation we have here. And that doesn't mean you have to stand for the whole of the service, does it? You are upstanding, but not upstanding. We understand that this language and much of the language of the ascension is not directional, but we may still feel a twinge of anxiety, perhaps. Isn't all this ascension language a wee bit triumphalistic? All this language about Christ enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords, enthroned in glory over the nations. It's wonderful. But how come we live in such a mess of a world? Why is our world in such tough places? Why does it seem sometimes, if we're brutally honest, that Jesus has shot through and disappeared off this planet and left us to our own devices? Isn't there a profound disconnect between that exalted language of the ascension and how life so often feels in this world. I think that's where I actually find comfort in some of the most extraordinary artworks of the ascending and ascended Christ. Um, there's one here which actually comes from the Philippines. Um, there we have Jesus and the disciples, and there's quite a lot of hands and feet. It's a bit uh, tricky uh, sorting out which is which. I'm actually going to ask um, Don just to move on because, of course, I've now forgotten the clicker, Don. Uh, so just, yeah, that's a wonderful one. If you're ever out at St. Mary's and Hallswell, it's worth having a wee look at. It's got that sort of beam me up Scotty sort of effect, hasn't it? You know, you've got Jesus definitely going up like a rocket. Uh, the next one, and others like it, often make it a wee bit hard for us to keep a straight face because all you really see are these feet. Uh, the focus is on these sort of two feet poking out from a cloud. But I think those feet are pretty significant, actually. They remind me and us that Jesus took our humanity with him into the ascension. He didn't just ditch his humanity and float off into heaven like some disembodied sort of spirit. We recall Jesus' feet needed washing, as did his disciples, while they were on earth. His feet still bear the marks of the nails. Um, I can't remember the hymn line, but there's a wonderful hymn line that speaks about uh, those scars which the angels still look upon. Christ took our humanity into the realm and being of God, with his experience of life here on earth, including the suffering and the dying. Our uh, former Archbishop Rowan Williams said something wonderful about this, I think. Our humanity in all its variety, in all its vulnerability, has been taken up by Jesus into the heart of the divine life. The humanity that we all know to be wounded and imprisoned in various ways, this humanity yours and mine, is still capable of being embraced by God. It is shot through with God's glory, received and welcomed into the burning heart of God. Our humanity is there in the heavens. And that gives me actually enormous courage and hope when we talk about the ascended Jesus interceding for us because Jesus prays and intercedes for us in ways that reflect his experience 
of knowing what life on earth is like. As Paul said to the Romans, who will condemn us? It is Christ Jesus who died, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. This Jesus intercedes for us. Who will separate us then from the love of Christ? What a wonderful promise that is. Christ is the intercessor, the one who stands in the gap, literally, who knows and shares our humanity, who's accessible to us, who will hear our prayers and our long, the longings of our hearts as we pray for the world. Intercessor, friend of sinners, earth's redeemer, plead for me. And how does Jesus intercede for us? Well, what a wonderful, rich example we heard in that gospel reading today. John 17, it's a great chapter uh, worth reading in, in its entirety. Part of Jesus' prayer for his disciples as he seeks to prepare them for his final leaving of them. Uh, it's been said its texture is so rich that we may choke on it unless we chew on it slowly. It's really a chapter worth meditating on. In uh, typical John's way, he piles up words on top of each other as Jesus prays that love and unity will be the hallmarks of Christians, just as Father and Son are united in love. And isn't that a prayer we need to echo and seek to live as we are now in the 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost, traditionally the time when we pray particularly for Christian unity. And it was wonderful as part of our clergy conference last week to have um, Bishop Paul Martin, of the, the Catholic bishop, soon to be Archbishop of Wellington, uh, to speak to us at our after-dinner speech. It was just wonderful uh, to see our bishops, Peter and Paul, together. Let's keep praying uh, that our witness will not be impeded as we pray, thy kingdom come. So we pray, but to Jesus prays for us. And sometimes when we just don't know how to pray for a person or a situation or for our world or for Ukraine, we bring them in our imagination before God, bring them to Jesus. Jesus is there interceding for us. Jesus, friend of sinners, intercede for us. Jesus, who is both human and divine. That is sometimes all but the most that we can do. So our job is to pray to our ascended Lord. Uh, yes, to pray as if it all depends on him, but then to live out as if it all depends on us, living out our lives as the body of Christ here now physically present on earth, living that reality of the ascended and reigning Lord Jesus into the world but we do it together, that God's kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. That reading we heard from Acts shows us just that happening, doesn't it? Paul and Silas are carrying out the work of Jesus in bringing healing and freedom to a girl who is enslaved, it seems, by both spiritual and human forces. She's being exploited and uh, not surprisingly, when Paul and Silas bring her healing in the name of Jesus, there are some fireworks. There are consequences, as we know, when people's livelihood is threatened, uh, even when it was through ill-gotten gain. 
and the consequences it seemed for Paul and Silas, some sort of kangaroo court, uh, there is nothing triumphalistic about their following in the footsteps of the ascended Lord. They are stripped naked and flogged and put in prison. And we know uh, just then as now, the church goes on in the world vulnerable, suffering, but also singing and praying, um, often misunderstood and misjudged, sometimes vindicated in this life, sometimes not. In this story, yes, we do have that happy ending of the conversion of the Philippian jailer, his baptism, along with all his household. His own ministry begun that night in washing the wounds of the disciples. What a beautiful echo of Jesus washing the feet and then offering hospitality. Seems it all happened at night, perhaps the original midnight feast. And so the infant church grows and those chains of captivity for Paul and Silas become bonds of love and affection as the early church grows. So that's our calling too as the church of today. We're so often aware of our fragility and failings, but we take to heart in this season, this 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost, just two, three-word prayers. I like short prayers. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. What a simple but heartfelt prayer. And then come Holy Spirit. It's one of the most ancient of Christian prayers. Praying for that strengthening, reviving, refreshing, renewing presence of God's Spirit to be with us and in us as we come towards the season of Pentecost. To the glory of the risen Lord Jesus, ascended and glorified, yes, but also present with us by the Spirit. Amen.